0: Praise and worship. It's been a topic that I've been on for, this will be week six. And uh, this morning's message is entitled, Say So. And God has given us a say so. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to uh, just walk with you through this uh, this morning. If you want to open your Bible to Psalms 107. And um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read verse 2 and 3 and then jump down and read verse 22. If you read the entire 107th Psalm, you'll see the flow. But like so many of the Psalms, it is a Psalm that's all about identifying the great things that God's done and praising Him for it. But they, David, as he does in so many of the Psalms, enumerates all of these great blessings and ways that God's delivered His people. And he's, he takes the time to detail out the pattern of God answering prayer and blessing. And he also talks about all the horrible things that have uh, happened, even the mistakes and sins that God's people fell in. And he goes through all of these things, puts it all out on the table, and shows how God sorts it out and calls the righteous and blesses. And ultimately the Psalms, entire Bible actually It's about redemption, the word redemption, buying back, buying back from slavery, redeeming us from the slavery of sin. The entire Bible is the story not just of creation, but of redemption. And this psalm really takes that whole idea of redeemed, the redeemed, you and I are the redeemed, and and just encapsulates it. So with that background, let's take a look at verse 2 and 3 and verse 22. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Everyone say, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And then the the scripture goes on until we get down to verse 22 and enumerates all the history of Israel, how he had gathered them, how they got into trouble, how he redeemed them out of those problems. And hasn't the Lord redeemed you and I out of some trouble? In our lives, praise the Lord. And it gets down to verse 22 and he says about the redeemed of the Lord who should say so. He says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Hallelujah. So even though the law that was added to the Old Testament Uh, The form of worship was based on the physical offering up of sacrificial animals that all symbolized the Son of God, the Lamb of God being offered. God even back then makes it known that the sacrifice that he's really looking for is our thanksgiving, our praise, offer up with songs of excitement and of joy to the Lord, songs that tell of his wonderful deeds. So that's the essence of what our say-so is. God has given us a say-so to declare his redemption. And Let me give you a perspective. Um, just kind of step back and take a look at the whole Bible and, and the story of God's dealing with man. We were created to be redeemed by God's love. When God was finished creating Adam, the Bible says that he declared it's good. Remember that? He finished creation. He had made Adam. So the creation of Adam was good, but he wasn't perfect. The perfection would be reserved for the redeemed, saying so. The creation was the beginning of God's plan, but redemption is its completion. God's intention was not to create Adam and that that was the pinnacle of what God wanted for us. Running around in the garden, innocent, eating fruit, feeding animals, tilling the ground, um, and knowing nothing but God. But God's ultimate plan was for us to come back from our rebellion, back from our fall, um, and be redeemed by his love. And out of that consciousness of his love for us, be able to have a say-so, and to worship the Lord and stand before Him. And so redemption isn't plan B, it's plan A. Sending Jesus into the world was not a fix. It was the ultimate plan to finish what God started when He made Adam in the first place. When God made Adam, He said, it's good, but it's not finished. It's good, but it's not complete. The Lord from the very beginning saw down through the corridors of time his ultimate finished work. And that finished work would be people who had gone to hell and back, had fallen, and had been redeemed from the fall by the love of God. Adam knew a love that, uh, that he had nothing to compare to. But we know a love that has redeemed us. We know a love having contrasted that love against our own failings and how God loves us in spite of our failings and came into the world as the Son, Jesus Christ. And in fact, Psalm 111 and verse 9 says, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Everyone say covenant. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. I'd like to take a moment or two... uh, To give you a context, because I want to talk about the praising God and the say-so of God, in order to do that, we need to talk for a few minutes about the blood covenant. Um, Some of you have got an understanding of what the blood covenant is. The whole Bible really is the story of God making a covenant with man. I've taught a number of series over the years, and they're available on the blood covenant, what it is. It really is... And ought to be, for all of us, a foundation of understanding why we exist, what redemption is, what receiving the new birth is all about. But just to give you a real fast little context, when God, after the fall of man, first set out to establish a relationship with humanity again, and to engage humanity and to begin to bring us to that second step, the completion of his work, redemption, he meets a man named Abram who he changes his name to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 15 verse uh, and chapter 17, through those chapters, we have the story of God meeting Abraham and drawing Abraham into the blood covenant. Now, being an ancient man, Abraham understood what the blood covenant was. In essence, in essence the blood covenant is two individual parties coming together in a bond that takes the two solitary individual parts, and makes them half, each half, of a new whole, new third being. And out of their two lives that are given together, this new being will arise. And that's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians when he said that we are a new creation, a new species. And so God says to Abraham, He greets him and he says, I am your great reward. And Abraham understood God was speaking to him in covenant terms. And he said, my covenant will be with you. So Abraham's mind must have been just just swirling within himself. God is going to make a covenant with me. How can this be? How can I covenant with the everlasting eternal God, aware of his own sinful failings and the holy, everlasting God. How are we going to make a covenant together? But God says, prepare to make this covenant. And he instructs Abraham, and Abraham goes and gets sacrificial animals, uh, gets a heifer, for example, cleaves all of them in half, puts the two halves side by side out in this area where, that's, where this covenant is going to be cut, and he's waiting for God to show up. And as he does, the Lord causes a sleep to fall on him, and he falls asleep. But when he awakes... He sees this amazing sight because men that would form a covenant would bring together a number of articles that symbolize their covenant. They'd each bring their shield or their sword. They'd each bring a contract with the terms of the covenant. They would do like the Indian blood brothers where you make a cut and you, when you were a kid, you know, you become blood brothers and they'd commingle blood. They'd exchange names I would take your name, you would take my name, and we'd form a new third name for this new uh, creation that was made. So, knowing that this is what the covenant was going to be, he's waiting, and he wakes up, and the Bible says that Abraham saw a fire. He just saw a big flame of fire, and he saw a smoking furnace. In other words, some kind of a clay vessel with smoke streaming out of it because it had fire inside of it and he saw the two of these things passing between the pieces so he now is a spectator of the covenant that he thought he was going to be making with God instead he sees these two symbols and they symbolize both of them symbolize God the fire symbolizes the eternal father God the Bible says our God is a consuming fire The vessel with the fire in it symbolizes Jesus, the Son of God. God tabernacling in human flesh. And so the the covenant that was cut, that produced our salvation, is not made between you and God, but it's made between God and God. And that's why it can't be broken. It is an unbreakable covenant. And when Jesus rose from the dead, let me tell you how badly the devil lost. How eternally and how completely and how totally his defeat was. When Jesus rose from the dead, all hope, all chance of ever causing that covenant to not finally be ratified was lost. Because when Jesus rises from the dead, it's over with. He is the fulfillment of that blood covenant. So when the Bible says that you and I are redeemed, we are the benefactors We are the ones who received what that covenant is all about. Well, um, our liabilities, that covenant table is spread out. Our liabilities and God's wealth get thrown on the table and his wealth eat up our liabilities. And then there's plenty left over. And um, our weapons get put on the table, and God's weapons, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and our weapons that represent our efforts. You see, when you enter into blood covenant, if Terry and I were to cut the covenant, enter into a blood covenant, his enemies, not only for the rest of his life, but his children's life and their children's life, become my enemies. If he gets into a battle, I come running. I grab my clan. I grab my children. If his children get attacked, we come to their defense. If I get attacked, he comes to my defense. This is why nations would enter into covenants because the weaker nation would seek bolstering by the stronger nation. So we have equal or, or close to equal kinds of uh, covenants today, business agreements, contracts, but all of it stem from the concept of the blood covenant. The blood covenant, though, is eternal and can't be broken because you give your entire life to it. You can't back out of the blood covenant because you're now only half of a being. You're not whole. That's why Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you because the vine cannot bear fruit. Uh, The branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. So once you're redeemed, you have all of the wealth, all of the provision, all of the, the, uh, here I come, says God, when you're in trouble. Call upon me. Now, what does this have to do with praise? Well, praise is the say-so of the blood covenant. Praise is the enacting. It is the applying of the benefits of the blood covenant. When you praise God, you are calling upon Him for the provisions that He has made for you as the redeemed. You see, the third party that was produced by the blood covenant is the redeemed, the new creation in Christ. Jesus, the Bible says, is the firstborn among many brethren. God Himself came to become that sacrificial lamb, and create a new race, a new species. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the redeemed, the new creation, are the ones in whom God has invested all the power and all of the authority of that unbreakable covenant. What is praise? Praise is the say-so. That's what the Scripture says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so why is it important to say so when you say so when you praise God for all that he's done you're not just saying thank you you're not having an emotional moment you are invoking the authority and the benefits of the blood covenant so praise is not a celebration of feeling but it is an act of purpose it's an exertion of your being not of your emotions In Psalm 146, in verse 2, it says, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The praise doesn't stream from my emotions. It doesn't stream from my attitude. It streams from my existence. I exist as a born-again man, as a born-again woman of the Most High God. Praise need not consult your emotions. Praise need not consult the conditions of your body or the circumstances of your finance. What praise consults is the blood covenant and the victory of that covenant. We praise God because there is no diminishing, there is no sickness, there is no fault, there is no failure, there is no going backwards in the blood covenant. It is the projection and the fulfillment of God's purpose throughout all eternity. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. We have made a terrible mistake by making praise an expression of feeling. Yes, we should praise God with our feelings, but we don't praise God because of our feelings. That's what humans do. And they do a great song if you love music like I do. I just love all kinds of songs and everything. But I've noticed that out in the world, if they're happy, my goodness. They've created how many wonderful, awesome songs have been written because people were happy and they felt wonderful. Remember that little dude back in the 70s, Leo Sayer? He did that song, I Feel Like Dancing, and he kind of pranced around and danced. It was a really happy song. And so, you know, when people are happy, they sing those happy tunes and everything. But you, you take the circumstances and change them, let some catastrophe, let some trouble come, let darkness roll in, and the, the song totally changes. Then you've got Gilbert O'Sullivan singing Alone Again Naturally. <laughs> and uh, there, has there ever been a more pathetic song than Alone Again Naturally? I think it, you know, I, if I heard that song for the first time, I would be concerned that he committed suicide at the end of the thing. But that's the way, if you make your emotions the arbiter of your praise, that's exactly what you're going to be. You're going to just be worldly again. It's like you were never saved. I feel great. I'm going to praise God. Oh, I can't. They're singing that stupid song. I hate that song. I can't praise God to that. And this is the way it's gotten in church today. People put their praise on whatever the the worship team's doing. or I'm I'm standing beside Sister So-and-So, and and she's off-key. Drives me crazy. I can't praise God like this. And so we, we make our praise subject to all of these proclivities. And all we're doing is we are cutting our own spiritual throat. We are denying ourselves the new creation. We are acting as unsaved people rather than understanding that our praise is the national anthem of the redeemed. Somebody say glory to God. I will praise Him with my whole being. You see, our being is incomplete until we praise God. So you can educate your children, but if you haven't taught them to praise God, they're incomplete. You can marry them off and get them the right spouse. They're incomplete until they praise God. A redeemed person who doesn't praise God is a caterpillar waiting to become a butterfly. A redeemed person who doesn't praise God is an elephant without a trunk. What child says, take me to the zoo, I want to see that elephant without a trunk. Nobody goes to see an elephant without a trunk. Here's one of the things that... uh, trips us up, hinders us when it comes to praise. Um, because most people, most saved, most redeemed people take praise and worship seriously. But that doesn't mean they understand what they're doing when they praise God or the the, the, the true um, power and the true import of praise. And so because of it, the, take for example a praise and worship service like uh, we've, we've just had People will come in, and if they don't feel celebratory, they will be reticent and um, hesitant to open their mouth and praise God because they think, "Well, I'll just be acting," and they they don't want to be insincere. So, well, that's a good sentiment. You know, we want we don't want to be hypocritical, we don't want to be insincere, and so we're waiting on that celebratory feeling because I want it to be genuine. When I praise God and lift my voice, I want it to be for real. You know, remember Miyagi and the karate kid? This is not make-believe, this for real, he said. So the fact is that praise is an act. It's an act of faith in the blood covenant. And so just do it. Don't wait until you feel your act is sincere. Act in faith on the blood covenant because every person who's saved who goes down under the cloud of a heavy and oppressive trial knows that while they're in the middle of that trial, they still know God is real. They still know his word is true. They may not understand why. It doesn't seem things are working for them at the moment, but they still believe that the covenant is real. And so praise him because the covenant is real. Praise him because you are a new creation in Christ. Act in faith, and the inhabitor of praise will turn your act into demonstration. Who is the inhabitor of praise? God inhabits the praises of His people. So act in faith and praise God. And God will turn the act of faith into demonstration. In other words, in simple terms, we come in and we begin to praise God and oh my gosh, if I had, if I had a dollar for every time I've experienced this, I'd be driving a new car. Hallelujah. But, but all of us have been there And the experience is simply this, whether it is in your private devotional time, or whether it is here as we gather to worship with God's people, you come in, you start out, you don't feel like it, you don't feel like participating, and you act in faith. Somewhere along the line, because you're praising God, you are acting upon the Word of God, something starts to happen inside of you. Something turns over, something changes. The spirit of God begins to breathe on you. That dark cloud begins to move away. The sun breaks through. Hallelujah. Yes. And the joy is there. And after a while, we've got to shut you up to get the, to move on with the service. I remember years ago, uh, when we were pastoring uh, up at Yale, we had uh, the um, lecture hall was just jam-packed with people. And those services would get raucous, if you could believe it. You know, we always hear about Yale, what a spiritual graveyard it is. Well, I can tell you, for about 15 years, it was a place of incredible revival and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And those services would get going, and when the praise and worship, quote-unquote, was over with, you just about had to have the ushers uh, whack them over the head to get them to shut up and sit down so you could preach the Word. It just wouldn't stop. They just kept going. So... But, you know, when, when, when you'd first get started, you didn't necessarily feel like it. So praise is an act. It's acting on the blood covenant. Listen, let me say this also about praise. Praise must be deliberately observable. People say, oh, I don't want to make a show. Well, then don't do it for show. But don't not praise God. Because praise is supposed to be a show. It's supposed to be deliberately observable. You're not showing yourself off. You're showing forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. But make no mistake, praise must be deliberately observable. You're not praising God if the people around you can't accuse you of praising God. You need to be found guilty of praising God. If you can't be charged with praising God, you're not praising God. Doesn't mean you're not thinking or meditating. All those things are good. But praise, praise the say-so of the blood covenant is deliberately observable. And it puts your faith on record. Praise puts your faith on record. Anybody can have faith, but we need that faith on record for God to honor it. It does something else, too. It provides the lost with evidence of the resurrection, when people begin to praise God, unsaved people around them start feeling the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of their hearts. It just happens. Why? It's proof that it is the say-so of the new creation. When you are in praise, something spiritual is going on. It's not just you praising God, but something is happening in the heavenly. Something's happening in the realm around you. You get a bunch of believers go down Clearwater Beach, out in a park somewhere, and begin to worship and praise the Lord. Man, nervousness starts to ripple through the crowd. But on the heels of nervousness, the anointing of God starts knocking on the doors of people's hearts. Praise is evidence of the resurrection. More people have gotten saved, not because they heard a compelling sermon, but during the praise, God started to move on some hearts and open doors. I'm going to take my last few minutes and just share a couple of um, methods of praise. I think it's important just to identify there are a whole bunch of things the Bible says we do to praise God. I just want to grab a couple of them and mention. The first obvious one is singing. Uh, Psalm 66.8 says, praise our God people sing loud songs of praise to Him because Singing praise releases the Spirit to do the work of the covenant. In the New Testament, in Colossians 3, there's this marvelous verse that shows that singing praise releases the Spirit to do His work as our teacher and as our leader and the one who inspires us. Um, In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let, which means you've got a choice to make, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom. So now I want to know, how am I supposed to do that? It says, let the word of God dwell in you, teaching with all exhortation and all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all with grace, or God's power of the new of the new covenant. That's what grace is. With all grace in your heart to God. So have you ever noticed that... Um, I don't know about you. I observe these things, and they just crack me up sometimes. I see these contrasts in life. And one of them is, is this, the fact that when we gather together as Christians and we're going to have a Bible study, we can't seem to do it without singing a song. Christians are gathered together in a house, and we're going to have a Bible study. We're going to talk. But uh, before we do, let's join hands and let's sing. What is that? What that is is it says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly in an atmosphere of singing psalms. Singing songs and worshiping the Lord is executing the say so. Hallelujah. You know, and and the contrast that cracks me up is I, you know, I remember when I was going to school, I wouldn't go into algebra class and the teacher said, All right, we're in chapter four this morning, but uh, before we start, can somebody think of a song? No, it never happened, you know. Um, The other, uh, there's another form of praise, it's called shouting. And Psalm 35, 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually before the Lord, Be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now, in the context of this psalm, when you come under assault, when you come under attack, when the pressures of life pile up on you and you're under attack and as a believer you're the redeemed you are standing in the place I have a covenant with God and I am the redeemed I am favoring God's righteous cause so when you come under attack and you're standing in God's righteous cause the Bible says the remedy here's what you do it doesn't say call three people or text them and get the little prayer circle going Nothing wrong with that, but this is what the Bible says to do when you're under attack. Shout praise to the Lord and make your attackers attack God. When you praise God, what are you doing? You're identifying with the blood covenant. When you sing and worship the Lord, the redeemed of the Lord are saying so. All of a sudden, you're identified as the redeemed of the Lord. Now your attacker's not just attacking you, who are they attacking? They're attacking the new creation. They're attacking God. If you want to see deliverance, if you want to see the supernatural power of God, pry your circumstances open and bring mercy and bring deliverance and bring help. Begin to shout praise to the Lord even if you look like a maniac doing it. In the apartment next door if they hear you. You hear them (laughs) clapping Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout out to God in celebration. For the sovereign Lord is awesome. He is the great king who rules the whole earth. Now this is, this is a powerful, um, again, expression of the blood covenant. Clap your hands. Clapping unto the Lord demonstrates approval, and appreciation. That's what clapping does. It gestures approval. It gestures appreciation. Our approval and our appreciation for the Lord is supposed to be demonstrated before the whole world. It's not supposed to be cloistered away in some secret little dark religious corner. We ought to be clapped. The Bible says, clap unto the Lord all you nations in celebration. There's... There is one of the great keys to evangelism is praise. Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw up. You've knocked yourself out all day long, tried to argue with people about why they need to get saved. But unless the Father draws them, they're not going to come to Jesus. How are they going to draw? God wants to crank the flag of the redeemed up that flagpole. And guess what? That's you, my friend. You are the flag of the redeemed. He wants to run you up that pole. That happens when you praise God. When you clap your hands, all you nations. When you worship God. The Lord runs you up the pole. There you are, flapping. And your flesh is, may, might not like it because you look foolish. You're going to have a problem going up that pole if, you, if it's all about being cool for you. So you're, you are, if you're going to praise God you are going to come into conflict with your need to be cool. Something's got to give. But if you want Jesus glorified, clap your hands and watch the nations come to Jesus. Dancing. We don't do a whole lot of that around here. I was thinking about when the last time we used to do dancing and I realized we were younger. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but we used to call it Sunday morning jesus size. And man, those services, and it wasn't ballroom dancing, I would have to say, Uh, it was, some of it could have been referred to as uh, spasms uh, of some kind. There was definitely no choreographer involved, but a lot of joy, a lot of power going on dancing. Listen to this. Psalm 149 149, verse 3 says, let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him to the accompaniment of the tambourine and the harp. Well, we did that with the tambourine and the harp kind of figuratively speaking this morning. Not a whole lot of dancing. Might have swayed from foot to foot. I don't know. Maybe that's the most you can get going these days. But whatever it is, Let me tell you why dancing is a very important form of praise unto the Lord. Because dancing before the Lord is praising God with your whole being. How many times have you read in the scripture, I will praise him with my whole being? You see, and so we just sit down in a chair, raise our hands and praise God. Are we praising him? Yes, but our whole being isn't necessarily praising him. Once you get your whole being involved in praising God and you look totally ridiculous doing it, you are praising and making a living sacrifice, a living offering of yourself. Listen, I know that in the natural, you might look undignified if you dance your little dance before the Lord out here in this aisle on a Sunday morning. But in the realms of God, in the halls of heaven, in the presence of the Lord, you've never been more dignified than when you present your body a living sacrifice. And dance your little dance before the Lord. So next week, hallelujah, the mortgage is paid here. We own it. Nobody's going to throw you out. Glory to God. When we praise the Lord, dance your little dance before the Lord. Amen. Amen. Present your body a living sacrifice. Um, Let me share just one more. There are so many other forms, but one very obvious one is lifting up your hands. Lifting up your hands unto the Lord. Psalm 63, one of my favorite, verse 3 and 4 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And thus will I bless you as long as I live. In your name, there's the covenant. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So lifting up the hands, people have said it's surrender to Jesus. Well, if your heart's surrendering to him, that's good. But it is so much more than surrendering to Jesus. He said, your steadfast love is better than life. And so I'm going to bless you as long as I live. I am going to lift up my hands in your name. In other words, I will signify with my lifted up hands in your name that you have provided something better than life through the blood covenant. Nothing wears us down more than life. We hate going through horrible trials, the terminal illness of a loved one, the loss of a job, conflict in our families, on and on and on. There's not a family here, an individual's not been touched in some way by these things. It is the way of the world until Jesus returns. It is a fact of life. And uh, in this world you shall have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Why? You are the redeemed. And so life is hard for believers, for non-believers. It's hard for everybody. But the Bible says your steadfast love is better than life. And because I know that when life gets hard, there's something better than life, I will lift up my hands In your name, what am I doing? I am invoking the blood covenant. By lifting up my hands in the name of Jesus Christ, I am calling on the one who says, your enemy attacks you, they attack me. When your pot is dry, I come with my abundance. When you're weak, I have furnished my strength. Hallelujah. So all that is there that is yours in the name of Jesus... As you lift up your hands, you are calling upon that covenant and God will bring that help. I want to close with this verse. I seem to bring it out every week. Fine, always find a way to slip it in, but it's so slip inable. And that's 1 Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people, a peculiar people for God's own possession so that you may show forth, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praising God is the national flag of the redeemed. Let's get that flag up over our lives and let's leave it up. Hallelujah. You know... For those of you that understand flag etiquette, if you have a flag that you've raised over your house, an American flag, you know, at night you're supposed to have a light on that flag. It shouldn't be flying in the darkness. That's, that's the correct uh, etiquette. Uh, if not, then you retire the flag at, at sundown and raise it in the morning. Okay, so what does that have to do with the, the flag of praise? We need to throw the light on praise. We need to be deliberate about it. We need to praise God on purpose to be heard and to be seen. Hallelujah. Show forth His praise because it is the say-so of the redeemed. Stand with me this morning. The Lord has given you a say-so. When I was a kid growing up, I know you that have been around here a long time. You're sick and tired of hearing these stories, so I'm not going to bore you with it again. But I want to say... I used to get, I used to fight all the time. I don't know why. It was like, it's like just what we did when I was growing up. So I was always in fights. Didn't like them, but I couldn't avoid them. And um, one of the things I remember, particularly when I was a little guy and kids would get into fights, it would always start with a confrontation. And the confrontation would would uh, involve one kid making some claim over another kid or over concerning his mother or something like that. And uh, the other kid would, uh, in a war of words, he would defend himself and say, well, that's not so, and blah, 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 and he'd try to reason. And it would very quickly leave the realm of reason and just get into the totally unreasonable. So before the fist would start to fly, one of them would get frustrated and just simply say, well, because I say so. And, you know, that never really solved anything. You, you would think, well, i just say so. And um, that doesn't stop anybody. But the say-so of God resounded from heaven to the very floors of hell. The say-so of God, the say-so of the redeemed. God has given you and I a say-so. And you and I sometimes get into situations in life and, We can't remember all the scriptures. We can't pull out that verse that relates to where we're at right now. We don't know exactly what to say or how to pray or what to do. Just remember, God's given you a say-so.